This podcast proudly brought to you by Moss Shot Shells. Old school is back in season. Experience superior shells when you go with Boss Shot Shells. Their premium, non-toxic bismuth shells knock birds down so hard that the old guys might just think they're shooting lead again. Make sure you check out Boss Shot Shells for your next purchase of shotgun shells. Hey guys, I'm Jordan Fromer. I believe in hunting hard, hunting smart, and having a fun time while doing it. And shooting limits? Well, that's just the icing on the cake. I revel in the journey just as much as the successes it brings. From ducks to dogs to decoys and guns, we'll be talking tactics, strategies, and what it takes to get the job done. Load up and take aim. This is the Duck Gun Podcast. What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. On this week's episode, we're joined by Jake Teal from JT Calls. And I know turkey season has started for a lot of people across the country, and it's just around the corner for a lot more of us. So we thought it'd be great to bring in a turkey guy. So that's what we got going on today, all about turkey hunting. And it's a good one, so you don't want to miss out. But first, a quick word from our partners, and we'll jump right into the podcast. Hi, this is Killian Bailey from Bailey's Game Calls. I'm here to tell you about our duck, goose, and wood duck calls. We use 3D printing technology to revolutionize the industry. This new technology allows us to create calls with the same sound as wood, acrylic, or anything in between that's at a fraction of the price. Make sure to check out baileysgamecalls.com for your next game call. Next, we'd like to give a big thanks to our partners at White Rock Decoys. Be a nomad and get out further with their system of windsocks and silhouettes. Use discount code DUCKGUNPOD at checkout for 10% off your next order at whiterockdecoys.com. We'd also like to give a big thanks to our partners over at ShotCam. Now, I've been using ShotCam for the last year, and I can tell you right now, it's a great tool for improving your shooting, whether you're doing clays or live birds or just want to see some cool footage of your shots after the fact make sure to check out shotcam.com and use discount code duckgun at checkout for $40 off all right what's going on elliot oh not much it's been a while since we've had a chance to talk really either on air or off air really yeah it's been a little while what have you been doing Oh man, this last weekend, we uh, all came down with a flu at my house. Oh, that's fun. Started off with the baby, then it was me, and then I don't know who got it next, either my wife or Chief. It went to the dog? Yeah. Can that, I didn't (laughs) think that dogs and humans could swap stuff like that. Well, I don't know, I I'm not positive. So when he started throwing up too, um, I Googled it. And the first article I came to said that it could. And that was, I'm just like, okay, whatever. So either it was, or it was a wild coincidence. Cause yeah. Oh, I think I did read somewhere that if the owner makes out with the dog, that it could get. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that never happened. That's gross. So you guys were vomiting and stuff. So I never, I never threw up. Um, the baby did. She start started with her throwing up. So it's pretty pitiful when you see your, uh, you know, young child suffering like that. 
yeah. nothing you can do about it too. I remember one time when um, my son Nevin was about your daughter's age, maybe actually a little bit younger, I think. And he was sitting on the couch. I knew he had a fever. And all of a sudden he projectile vomits and then just starts devilishly laughing. (laughs) It was so weird. And the doctor said he was probably hallucinating. (laughs) But it was so weird because it's like this – string of vomit comes flying out and then he just starts cackling like like the joker <laughs> so then i was like my baby's possessed <laughs> <laughs> that would be freaky but, yeah uh, brooke definitely she did the same thing projectile vomited but it it landed on mom like right on heather so. well at least it didn't get you <laughs> yeah yeah no i dodged it she got vomited on twice <laughs> And I, I mean, I think we held Brooke pretty equally throughout the whole thing. We both had the fever, uh, flu, that kind of stuff. And and every time anything like that happened, it happened on Heather. Um, the kind of the end result or the the last step of this, uh, the symptoms of this flu were uh, diarrhea Ugh. and uh, <laughs> consistent through all four of us, including Chief. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe you're <laughs> – I've never heard of the whole family, including the dog, Giddy. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Uh, just it just makes it that much worse because, like, in the middle of the night, I'm like having fever, and I hear Chief just hacking <laughs> in the on the floor. I'm like, uh, have to get up and go clean it up, and and then like he'd be howling at the door, and I'd be like, I just let you out to pee, and then I see him doing like spinning in circles. <laughs> oh no, I'm like no. Chief, no! <laughs> I go open the door. I've never seen him run out the door so fast. Like he's like not making any ground because he's trying to run on the hardwood floors and his claws are like just slipping. Like, <laughs> yeah, and then finally he gets out the door and just runs over to the tree and starts. Yeah, they weren't solid. Oops. Oh <laughs> man. So I, I don't know how much if, if I'm going into too much detail here. Definitely not no, for you. I know this is right up your like alley, but, uh, <laughs> but for the podcast and the average listener, well, I'll, I'll try to keep out the details. But yeah, it was, uh, it was a little rough. And like I said, Heather got vomited on twice. Brooke was having blowouts with this, and they they got on her. But I dodged everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you said you dodged the projectile vomit, I imagined you either diving out of the way just so it could drill your wife, or grabbing her and using her like a human shield. <laughs> mm, well, it wasn't quite that bad. Your ex no, I just I ended up not getting anything like that. Yeah. Oh man, that's awesome. So if my voice sounds a little rough, or you guys hear some coughing. Might have to just deal with it this week. Yeah. So I'm dealing with it. Yeah. Just getting over it. Today was my first way, but first day back to work after all that. So yeah, that's that's no good at all. I've been fully healthy. We got back from. I guess the last time that we were on the podcast um, was when I was down on that snow goose stocking trip, and uh, man, that was. I was telling you before we came on, that was just so much fun, and I I I think I talked about it on the video, but I don't think that I think I edited it out. It just gets a bad name when people think of stalking, you know, um, they think of like pond jumping and the way we go about it. It's just re- it really gets a bad name. And I'm, it is I hope you can come down and do it because it is a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. I mean, you saw some of that camera stuff I got of those snows. I mean, being up close to all that is just cool by itself. You know, what I was thinking when I watched this video, it's probably I probably shouldn't even say this. But uh, <laughs> I was thinking if you had a turkey choke on 
snows that aren't moving. It's like shooting a turkey, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So you could you could shoot them out there at sixty yards. I don't know how close they were. I was we were estimating seventy five to eighty at the closest. Okay, so that that probably wouldn't help you then. I mean, I wouldn't think if you had arced that into them. I mean, every single piece of shot would have gone into a bird. <laughs> I mean, there was just so mm-hmm. many of them. But I, I had. But would have had any. 80 yards that wouldn't would have had any power to kill any or I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. 80 is a long way. Probably not. I mean, you get them in the, the, head. the reason, I guess the other thing I'm not thinking of with Turkey is you can shoot lead shot at turkeys. Mm-hmm. So that helps you get a tight choke in Turkey. Well, uh, Turkey load. For those of you that haven't you seen the, head. the video we're talking about, um, it's on my YouTube channel, freelance duck hunting. It's definitely worth it. Definitely worth, worth a look. I think I named it something like, uh, hunting a snow goose blizzard. And I had multiple comments um, because in the video, you couldn't quite tell how close they were. I mean, I was zooming in. So people, a lot of people were assuming they were like 40 yards or whatever. And so I had a lot of comments like, what are you guys doing? Not shooting those birds at 40 and then taking a pair. But they were about the one, one thing, even if they had been at 40 yards, um, if we had shot flock shotted that many birds at 40 yards, I would assume we would have downed somewhere between hundred and 200 birds a lot of them would have been mm. cripples. I mean, our kayaks were about a half mile away from us on the creek. We would have had to, we talked about what we were going to do if that scenario happened. We were going to have, um, we were all going to go back to the kayaks. Jeff was going to go back to the truck. And then we were, we would have to kayak clear down this creek out onto the main pool into a stiff wind. Uh, or no, I guess with the wind at our back. And that pool, you can't really walk it because it's just silty mud. So to collect, that I would, we wouldn't have had enough shells to collect that many birds. Cause you know, anytime you flock shoot like that, you're going to have lots of cripples. Um, so there was no way that we were going to flock, just flock shoot a flush. What we would have done is let wait until they're right over your head where you're still shooting at a lot of birds. But I mean, there was, I don't know how many birds are out there somewhere between 50,000 to hundred thousand. I can't, I can't gauge it when it's that many, but if we had got them at 40 yards and just, let's say I, I was filming, so I wouldn't have shot and I don't, I don't think they had their plugs in. So if Jeff and Aiden had put 10 shells into those birds, I don't think we could have even gotten them all gathered before dark. So it's like, no, that's just not what I wanted to do for the rest of my night <laughs> was deal with that. So with, with the snow geese though, it does kind of, it's almost like a gray area, how you're talking about it, because I mean, they have their conservation hunts because they have an overpopulation problem. So, I mean, I know they're animals, they have lives, and you have to respect it. But, like, where's the – is there kind of a different line when looking at snow geese compared to, like, a Canada goose? I mean, because they, they want hunters to, you know, get rid of some of these birds. I would say that there's a – there is – well, first of all, after talking to multiple sources, they're saying that this conservation order has had no effect at all. Um, it hasn't – it just hasn't done anything. So, you know, we can feel good and say we're killing this many or whatever, or justify, justify it. But in reality, um, it's not helping anything. Um, but I, I don't have a problem with how, if someone wants to kill 200, my problem is, is doing so in a way when there's a lot of wounded suffering birds for a long period of time. That's my problem with it. Uh, I, I, anything I kill, whether it's over, overpopulated or not. I still have enough, I hold enough value for the individual life that I want to kill it cleanly and efficiently. And I don't ever want to um, shoot into a situation where there's just cripples everywhere and I've got to work, you know, the next hour and a half to try to clean up 
the cripples. I just, that wouldn't be fun for me personally. I don't have any problem with people going out and shooting 200 birds. Cause I think there's something like 20 million of them or something. I mean, there's a ridiculous number of, of snow geese. So I don't have any issue with the numbers. My issue is just not, not efficiently killing them and the suffering. Yeah. Yep. And we have, I mean, we have, we have shot, um, a flush multiple times, but not on 50,000 birds. I mean, we've done it to where we've dropped, you know, 13, 15, um, but not like, I mean, you know, it, 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 you, you can, I talked to a guy that was stalking them and they got really into him and they killed 200 on a flush. Um, so that's a mm. lot. And in a field, it's different when you can run around and easily dispatch them. But when you're in a shallow marsh that you really can't get out of your boat because it's silt and you're it's, there's a 20 mile an hour wind one direction, that's going to be a difficult chore to, to get, get all those birds collected. For sure. So we, and we were talking the whole time. There was one, when they were in really close to us, we, we were saying, okay, if just a couple fly over, we're not taking it. We want something significant where we can really try to put down some birds, um, you know, 10, 15, whatever. But as, as it drew on and you couldn't quite tell it in the video, the birds actually flushed out farther and we were now downwind of them and they were starting to go out to feed. So we didn't think we were going to get any shots at all. We got those two come over like they did. We felt very fortunate to get any shooting at all. And I didn't quite show on the video because the video is getting a little bit long and I didn't want to narrate it. Um, but we were very lucky to get those two. And if that had happened an hour earlier when they were 70 yards of us, we never would have taken that shot. We would have waited for something better. So we were discussing that the whole time, um, what shots we were going to take. Awesome. Awesome. Very nice. Uh, right now is probably a good time to... Go ahead and pull our guest in. So our, our podcast for tonight, having JT calls on, so we'll get them right in here. What's going on, folks? I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my co-host alongside me, Elliot Graybeard from Freelance Duck Hunting. And our guest for tonight is JT from JT Calls. How do you, how you doing tonight? Not bad. How about yourself? Oh, doing good. And we're glad to have you back on here. Second time you've been on. The first one was a was a good one. Yeah, I'm glad to be back. Awesome. So tonight we're gonna, you know, be changing it up a little bit. Um, if I remember correctly, last time was mostly about duck hunting and all that. But uh, you know, another um, hobby that you mentioned at the time is uh, that you're a big time turkey hunter. So oh, yeah. we thought we'd tap into your expertise on that and. Uh, I don't know about expertise, but I try. <laughs> well, there you go. That's, uh, I guess, all we can all say, right? Yeah. You've been putting up a lot of Instagram uh, turkey call, turkey hunting posts that have been some good stuff. Yeah, there's been down, you know, in Florida and Alabama, half of Alabama's in, and Georgia, the southern states have been, they've been killing them for the last couple of weeks, and it's really starting to get me antsy awesome have you been out have you been out yet this year no i have not refresh me where where are you where do you live um central indiana okay okay that's what i was thinking because you were yeah you're the field you're field yes he meant to say the great waterfowl state of indiana (laughs) waterfowl mecca known as indiana (laughs) (laughs) awesome so uh um, what have you been up to kind of this off season? 
Well, it's off season for waterfowl, but it's everybody's, you know, buying turkey calls, getting ready. You know, turkey season's in in some parts of the country and is about to come in for the rest of the country. So I don't really get about the time, about the time waterfowl season ends for us and the duck and goose call sales start to decline, the turkey call sales ramp up. So I'm seven days, seven days a week. 12, 14, 16 hours a day doing turkey calls right now. So that's one of the reasons why I haven't been able to travel anywhere and hunt yet this year. So what kind of, what kind of calls do you make? What all kind of turkey calls do you make? Um, for the turkey calls, we have um, three different variations of mouth calls. We do a split V, a bat wing, and a combo cut. And then I do a ceramic over glass friction call and a slate over glass friction call. So that, uh, can you uh, explain those a little bit? Um, kind of turn. What was that? You're breaking up a little bit. Uh, can you explain those uh, the different types of calls you get? A little bit more detail. Yeah. You're still cutting up real bad. Yeah, he is cutting up quite a bit. But I think so. The different calls, um, the as far as the mouth calls go, like the we have we have three options. We got the split V, the bat wing, and the combo cut. And, you know, the split V, the the different cuts in the latex is what I'm referring to. Like the split V has a V cut and the bat wing, the top reed kind of looks like a bat wing. And then the combo cut is a split V with only one of the sides cut out of it. And that, that really gives you dis- different rasp values. So your split V is going to be the raspiest. And with my calls, it's the loudest because I have the latex stretched the tightest. The bat wing is the least raspy, and it's the quietest. It doesn't it doesn't take much air to run, but it's super, super quiet, and that's because I have the latex stretch really loose, so it doesn't take much air to get the latex vibrating. And then the combo cut's kind of right in the middle. It's mid-range rasp and mid-range volume. It won't get super loud, and it won't get super quiet, and that's the one that I have in my mouth probably 90% of the time. It'll kind of It'll kind of do it all. It doesn't get as loud as a split V, it doesn't get as quiet as the bat wing, but it's a really good mid-range call. Do you bring all three with you when you go out? Um, yeah, but that's just because my turkey vest has uh, pockets for them. Ah, uh, gotcha. <laughs> I, I carry a lot of unnecessary things, I think, like most turkey hunters do. If my turkey vest didn't have so many pockets, I surely wouldn't carry as many things. Yeah, well, it's just cooler to have all your toys with you anyway. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you know, there is there is some, you know, some days the turkeys are, you know, really responding to a more raspy call and other days they're responding less to the rasp and they want something a little bit cleaner, a little quieter, you know, you just got to have you got to have a little bit of variation with you. All right, fellas, we just had a brief um audio technical difficulty, so we're going to jump right back into it um where we left off. We were talking about the calls. And uh, JT, I'll let you take it away from there. All right. So we went over the mouth calls. So now I will tell you a little bit about the friction calls. So our friction calls, we have two varieties. We have ceramic over glass, and then we have our slate over glass. And I guess the ceramic over glass is hands down the most popular option because, you know, the thing that I tout online is both sides of it work wet. With your traditional friction turkey calls, when they get wet, they quit working. And so 
with the friction or with the ceramic over glass, both sides of that will work wet. It's an actual double-sided pot where, you know, most calls you only get like slate on top or glass on top. I've actually milled out the bottom of the actual pot. And so you can get to the soundboard and play on the soundboard. So the ceramic, um, the ceramics a little bit higher pitched, a little bit louder. And, you know, I use that when it's windier or I'm trying to call distance or locate a bird. And then as he's getting closer, I flip it over to the glass side and that gives me a little bit more rasp. It's a little bit quieter, you know, more of a, more of a finishing style call. And then the slate's kind of the same deal. The slate's really easy to use. Most guys grew up with a slate call, learning how to run a slate call. So most guys are really comfortable with that. But then when the slate gets wet, it no longer works. And so that's why, just like the ceramic call, we have the glass on the backside of the slate call. So it's a little bit quieter and a little bit raspier, just like it is on the ceramic call, but it's also waterproof. So if you lose your slate side, you still got your glass side. And that's kind of, those are my friction calls. Nice. So you have, uh, do you have any of the, are, are they called box calls? Yeah. The ones where you push them across the top? Yeah, we don't, I don't do any box calls. I haven't got into that yet. That's a lot of guys have been asking for them. That may be something that makes an appearance next spring, <laughs> but as of now, no, we do not offer any box calls. So do you think Alrighty. the mouth call is the best or is it just so much better to have it hands free? Um, it's, it's the best all around. If, if you ask me personally, it's, I can get, I can get a lot more realistic with a mouth call and it's the hands-free aspect. If, you know, if you're not inside of a blind, I mean, a turkey can see unbelievably well. And, you know, I can be, I can have my gun up on my knee aimed at the bird with both hands on the gun, not moving at all. And still calling but making no movement and that is invaluable yeah i personally uh have tried some of the other calls like i'm i'm in i'm in no way an expert turkey hunter at all um i've only been doing it for a couple years and last year was the first year i called and i learned to call with a mouth call because i wanted to spot and stock with a bow and that seemed like the only possible way to do it yeah no especially with a bow you're not i mean you're not shooting there's no way you're shooting a bow with one hand (laughs) yeah that's true so yeah um i guess um another topic i wanted to cover on the turkey hunting calls um, so I've seen where some people do kind of like owl calls or crow calls or some other calls. I'm not sure what they're doing, but, um, uh, I guess they're called locator calls. Yeah. So, uh, kind of, um, give us the lowdown as far as like uh, from a beginner's level, uh, what you use locator calls for. So your locator calls are going to come into play like, like your owl hooters when you're, you, you get out in the woods early in the morning before it's daylight and the turkeys are starting to wake up and getting ready to go about their day, but it's still dark. And so, you know, if, if you're trying to, what I'm going to use a locator call for is I'm going someplace new. I have not roosted any turkeys. I have no idea where the turkeys are. I'm going to be blowing an owl call or maybe even a crow call. And it's just a, it's just a shot gobble. It's just a reaction gobble. And so they're going to hopefully 
they're going to, you know, reveal their location so I can get in closer without, you know, sounding like a turkey and alerting the other turkeys to my presence of, you know, either being a hunter or a turkey that's on the ground in the dark, which is not a normal thing. Do you have a go-to? Um, alcohol in the morning, early morning, and then I like a crow call in the midday afternoon time. Okay. And do you have actual calls or do you mouth call or? Yeah, I have, you know, they make, there's, there's a lot of different owl hooters and crow calls out there that are, they're all relatively cheap and they all do about the same, the same job. There's no like, wow, that's a really good owl hooter or that's a really good crow call. (laughs) They're just all, they all do the job. On the, while we're on the topic of calling, um, if, if you're, you're sitting with a decoy out in front of you and you're calling and you're not hearing anything, anything back, how often should you call? And then also once they start gobbling back, how often should you call? That's something I've always kind of feel like I'm not that, I mean, I've hunted turkeys for a lot of years, but I'm still kind of novice as far as the ins and out of it. And I never quite know. It's like, how much should I call? Well, I think most guys generally over call and it's very, you know, it's very situationally dependent. Like, especially on the time of the day, you know, you get set up in the morning and it's, you know, it's breaking daylight and you, you know, you're hearing all the turkeys gobbling on the roost. And so you're calling, they're gobbling, you're calling, they're gobbling. And that's generally the first mistake because in nature, the toms gobble and that, that signals to the hens to come to them. They're calling the hens to the base of their tree. So they're going to stay in the tree until the hens fly down. And then the hens, in theory, are supposed to walk to them. And then once the hens are all underneath of his tree, he's going to fly down with them. And then they're going to breed and do their thing in the morning. And so if you've got a turkey on a limb that's gobbling to you and you're calling, he's gobbling, you're calling, he's gobbling. You know, this could go on till, you know, an hour and a half into the daylight because he's just sitting up there waiting for you to come to him. So if you get a bird gobbling to you on the roost, I'm going to call, let him gobble, you know, make sure that he knows that I'm here. And then I'm, I'm not calling anymore because he, if I, if, if you keep calling, he's going to stay in the tree nine times out of 10. And then once he's on the ground, once he's on the ground, that's also going to depend on, you know, is he by himself? Does he have hens with him? If he's got a bunch, you know, if there's a bunch of hens with him, there's really not much that you're going to be able to do other than hopefully, you know, call the hens over to you, which, you know, there's going to generally be like a boss hen. And so you want to, you know, try and challenge her and over call her, overpower her. And hopefully, you know, she'll want to come over and let you know that, no, I'm, you know, I'm in charge, not you. And then when she comes, the other hens are going to follow her and then the gobbler is going to come with them. But if he's got, if he flies down and he's got a bunch of hens, you're better off just, you know, going and getting breakfast and wait until about 10 o'clock because they're going to, they're going to spend the morning, you know, feeding around and then they're eventually going to, you know, he's eventually going to breed those turkeys and they're going to go to nest to lay it, you know, lay their egg. And then he's going to spend that. And that generally happens about 10 o'clock. So about, about between nine and 11, 
all all the hens are going to leave, and then he's going to go out looking for more, and that's that's when you're going to have the best luck. Hmm. So uh, something we probably should have stated at the beginning um, is kind of let you uh, let people know a little bit about who you are. We've had Jake on the podcast before, so um, I know not all of our listeners have probably listened to every episode. So uh, let's just kind of jump back <laughs> and do a little intro there. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm Jake, uh, Jake Teal. I'm from central Indiana. And I own JT Calls. We make duck calls, goose calls, and turkey calls. And try and post some cool content across the uh, various social media platforms. And he does a, a great job at all those. I appreciate it. So let's, let's jump right back into it. Um, <laughs> uh, kind of a, uh, one of those things that you said there kind of made me a little curious. How often do turkeys lay eggs? Um, you know, I'm no turkey biologist, but the way I understand it is when, I don't even know how to put it. They lay, I think each hen lays like between nine and 12 eggs and they lay one a day. And so I'm not sure. I don't think they always have eggs in them, but when it's, you know, when it's springtime and when breeding season comes, they have, they, you know, they start out with all you know, however many eggs, whether it's, I think it's between nine and 12 on average and they have all their eggs inside of them. And then when they get bred, it's pot, I think it's possible to either just one egg gets bred or all dozen gets bred, but then they go, they go lay one egg and then they go about their day. And then the next day they lay another one. They do that until they're all out of eggs. And then once they've laid all their eggs, then they sit on the nest and they don't really leave the nest except for, you know, they may leave for 15 or 20 minutes to feed because then they go right back to the nest because everything in the woods is trying to get those eggs and it's on the ground. And so there's, you know, the eggs are super vulnerable and it's very critical mm-hmm. that the hen protects her nest or all, you know, the coons and the skunks and the possums and everything else is are trying to get her eggs. That kind of reminds me of an interesting story. So one of the farms that I turkey hunt at, um, I can't remember what time of the year it was, uh, but it might've been like the end of turkey season. And uh, along this fence row, there was, I'm going to say somewhere between 50 and 100 turkey eggs. Really? Yeah. And they were all open. Like they'd all been eaten by animals. Yep. And so... That kind of just, um, I mean, it didn't seem like there was a nest there at all. They just was just lined kind of all together. So you, I guess I really just didn't know what was up with that. And it looked, I'm like, well, this isn't good for the turkey population in this area. So no, um, our turkeys just that dumb that did just put them out there and, and they get (laughs) the eggs get eaten by uh, predators that easily. No, I think they generally do a pretty good job (laughs) of, you know, trying to, trying to hide getting, you know, underneath bushes or in a brush pile or something. But, you know, all the predators work off of smell and with a turkey, you know, spending, I think they have to sit on the nest for like 30 days, 28, 30 days. And, you know, Mm. once, once a turkey's in, in one spot for so long there, you know, there's so much scent there that I don't, I don't think it's very hard for them to, to pick those spots out and then they just go in there and snag the eggs and I guess take them over, over like I'm, 
I'm sure that, you know, all the coons and the possums and everything, they just decided that's where they're going to eat the eggs. So they'd go get one, bring it over there and eat it, and then go back and get another one. Mm. Did you take any pictures of that, Jordan? I did not. Oh, man, that would have been cool to see. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah. The, generally the, the survival rate of the pulps is pretty is pretty low. I think, you know, a hen will have anywhere between 9 and 12 eggs. And I think, you know, on average, between like 1 and 4 actually make it to maturity. Mm. So it's not very – if you're a baby turkey, your odds are not very good. I wonder how long it is till they can actually fly into roost. I wonder how long it takes them to hit that time. Cause man, talk about being vulnerable on the ground. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. I think it happens pretty quick. I think, I think it's within, within a few weeks where they can fly. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So kind of jump into the next topic, uh, different styles of hunting. Do you got a preferred method? Run and gun for sure. Run and gun. Do you use uh, any type of, um, like, uh, uh, the sh- scooting shoots or any decoys like that that you use in front of you or, um, we've, we've kind of, you know, we've kind of tried it all. They all kind of work. I, I think in the, you know, we're running and gunning, we're in the woods and I don't think that the decoys really help you in the woods that much because the vis- the visibility is pretty low, but you know, I'm all, I'm also quite scared of the you know we've, we've done the we've done the scoot and shoot style decoys you know where you hold the where you hold the tom decoy in front of you as you're heading through the woods making calls and that just it everything about that seems wrong but it's a ton of fun <laughs> i'm doing that on public ground would be dangerous yeah for sure yeah i ran right yeah. walked right up on a guy turkey hunting on public land i had no idea he was there and uh i walked right up on him he never he never knew that i was there i snuck right around him but it was just like, oh my gosh, there's a guy right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I guess uh, talk us through kind of a tip, a typical hunt for you on turkey. So, like a running gun style hunt, what I'm going to do is generally we're going to be on public land somewhere because you know we have we have some private ground that we can hunt. But for the running gun style, you really need quite a bit of land because you know on a smaller parcel you can push all the birds off of that in a hurry and then just, you know, then you're done. So we're generally going to be on public land. I'm generally not going to have any idea about where I'm going or where the birds are. So I'm going to get in super early. And the biggest thing, especially on public land is you need to get as far away from the truck as possible because, you know, every, everybody and their brother that turkey hunts on public land gets out of the truck, walks 200 yards and sits down and then, you know, just calls like crazy for the first three hours a day. Then they go home. So you got to get away from those guys. You got to get deep. You got to climb the hills that nobody else is willing to climb. And so we're going to get way in there and then try and, you know, try and start with the locator calls, try the owl calls, try the crow calls, try and get one located. And then when I find one, I want to get above him. So, you know, the old, the old saying is you can't, you, know, you can't call a turkey down a hill. So I want to get above them. And I think there's, you know, the, the thing that the turkeys don't want to go down a hill is one of them. But then also the second thing I think is most important is 
most of your public land turkey hunters are not going to climb some of the hills that we encounter. So getting, getting up on top of there is just, you know, I think they feel safe up there because nobody's up there messing with them because it's so hard to get up there. So we're going to locate them. I'm going to get is you don't want to get too close because you know, they can, they can see quite well. So I'm going to try and stay, you know, between 150 and 200 yards out and I want to get above them. And then I'm going to sit down, let things, let things settle down for a little bit. Give them a, give them a few soft calls, let them know I'm there. If he responds, I'm going to be quiet and just let, let things happen, try and assess things, listen really good. You know, are there, are there hens calling? You know, when, when you hear another hen call, is he gobbling to her? You know, just try and figure out, you know, kind of how many turkeys you're dealing with. What's the, what's the situation going to be like when they get on the ground? And then just kind of let the chips fall as they may. Hopefully he doesn't have hens and, you know, he, you're going to, you're going to call, he's going to gobble and then he's going to get sick of waiting and he's going to fly down and come see what's going on. And so, uh, no decoys needed, um, for that. Um, for that scenario, no, maybe, maybe a hen, but generally no. So do you ever hunt crop fields at all or is this mostly woods? Um, um, a couple of the, the private properties that we have to hunt, they don't necessarily have crop fields, but we have, you know, like food plots for deer hunting and stuff. And in that situation, I'm going to be using decoys for sure. Cause we're probably, cause those, those smaller pieces of land, we're not, I'm not going to be running and gunning. We're going to be sitting in a blind. So generally I'm going to have one or two hens and a Jake decoy. I find that that's the, when I have lots of ag fields is when I have the most success just because they're a lot easier to identify their patterns when you're scouting them and knowing what fields are using and what trees they're roosting in. No, absolutely. Yeah. Being able to see them is, you know, huge to being able to pattern them. Alrighty, fellas, this podcast is going to be one for the books with the audio and technical difficulties. So if there's a little bit of separation there between what we're just talking about and what we, go, what we got going on now, it's just the audio issues. So we're going to jump right back into it. Um, Elliot, go ahead and um, kind of bring in the question about uh, the dogs with turkey hunting. Yeah, uh, Jake, I don't know if you're familiar with this because I'm certainly not very familiar with it. But I saw a couple of shows like 10 years ago about guys on the East Coast running dogs to hunt turkeys. And what I think what they were doing was um, you get a big flock of turkeys and you unleash the dog and the dog runs and busts them out everywhere. Then you sit against a tree with the dog in your lap with like a little sheet around it, hiding the dog and call them all back in. Have you heard it, ever heard of it or that style at all? I have never heard of such a thing. <laughs> yeah. It's not that uncommon, I don't think. I might need to do a little research on it. But um, I saw a whole video on it. It was pretty cool because the dog just busts them everywhere. And maybe it's done more in the fall when they're yeah, in. Yeah, that sounds like a fall thing. Yeah. That's generally the tactic in the fall is bust them up and then get in the middle of them and try and bring them all back together. It sounds yeah. like a Kansas thing to me, honestly. <laughs> no, it was East Coast. It was East Coast. Yeah, and they, they, I don't know what kind of dog. Yeah. <laughs> 
It seemed like maybe they were running maybe small was, dogs like Spain. It was like an Izzy or something. <laughs> yeah, Izzy wouldn't care about those things, man. I bought baby ducklings um, for my kids like three years ago just for the fun of it. Then we gave them away to a farm. You know, and Izzy was afraid of the freaking ducklings, my guy. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Took away her hunting dog card right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you should look that up. Uh, I'm sure you can find Vera on YouTube. It's yeah, pretty yeah. interesting. I'll look into that for sure. But yeah, I never, I've never heard of anything like that before. Nice. Yeah, I, I had neither. Uh, Elliot brings it up a lot, but uh, <laughs> I think it's just like a fantasy of some way he wants to hunt turkeys sometime. And <laughs> no, I, yeah, I, I'd probably enjoy it more. I was telling Jake off air that my problem with turkey hunting is I'm a really visual person, and I feel like all the time in the, I'm turkey hunting, it's like I'm sitting in the woods by myself without turkeys for miles when you know then you get up i get antsy get up and try to stalk and there they are you know they were close the whole time (laughs) my my deal with stalking is when i stalk it normally ends with a turkey seeing me before i see it and me seeing it run away (laughs) yeah how it goes patience is is key in the turkey woods for sure i don't have it (laughs) i don't have it i struggle with it as well and my buddy Aiden says, I sound like a waterfowler in the woods when I'm turkey hunting stocking. <laughs> Not very light of foot. <laughs> yeah. You got to have the Indian feet. But I think uh, I need some new boots. I think the kind of boots you have would be important for that. For like oh, not maybe. trying to step on sticks and, you know. You should go with like uh, moccasins or, or do yeah. like Western hunters and you could just slip off your boots and go barefoot. <laughs> Don't think yeah. so. I've seen those guys do that. That's that's next level. I'm keeping my boots on in the woods. Yeah, yeah me too. So um, do you ever just eat? Because I know we used to just hunt the evenings and try to roost them and that. Do you ever hunt the evenings or is that mostly mornings? And, and if and what would if you do hunt the evenings, kind of what's your difference in strategy between those two? Um, I generally – do not hunt the evenings. I can't really think. I can think of one time when I've hunted an evening. It's just not the. It's not the action packed. You know, I'm. I'm looking for. You know, I want to. I want them gobbling and coming in running, looking for a fight. That's. That's how I want to kill a turkey. And in the evening, it's kind of more laid back, and they're feeding, and it turns into almost a. You know, kind of a deer hunt where, you know, you know, you see them feeding over here. And you know they're going to come to roost here, so you kind of get in the, get in their path and try and capitalize that way. And that's that's not my ideal style of turkey hunting, but that if you're going to hunt in the evening, that's kind of that's kind of the way to do it. Is you know you figure out you know you got to the scouting really comes into play there. You got to figure out where they're going, where they currently are, and get in between that path somewhere. Yeah, we, when we hunted in the fall a lot. Um, with bows, although I was never successful, although I flung a lot of arrows, we were hunting, hunting sightless, um, at the age of 16, it didn't work out very well, (laughs) but, um, we were hunting in the fall and that's basically what we would do. We would do it so often that we would know the roost. They'd get out in the field and we'd try to get under the roost as they came back. And then I would inevitably fling three or four arrows and we'd go home. (laughs) (laughs) I did hit several. I just never killed one. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the area to hit one with an arrow is very small. Yeah. A 16 year old without a sight on his bow is probably not that ethical flinging arrows at (laughs) dead birds. (laughs) No, probably, probably not. (laughs) So this kind of talking about the evening versus morning stuff. 
So um, one of our waterfowl places we hunt on the river, yeah, uh, it butts up right against this farm, and it has a ton of turkey. Um, and so sometimes during late goose season um, in February, we, I've seen where um, the geese all fly across the river from this farm over to the island, and they roost in the trees. And so during waterfowl season, I, I got the idea. I'm like, man, wouldn't it be cool to shoot a turkey the same way you shoot a Canada goose? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. just wait for him to fly and, uh, you know, aim for their head and take a shot. Absolutely. But, you know, kind of kind of afterwards, I'm thinking, man, that's probably not the best idea. You know, it's probably a lot harder to identify a turkey flying, which one's the tom and the hens and all that kind of stuff. and they're probably a lot harder to take down than a goose that way, but um, just kind of, you know, a thought at least. Do you know of anybody who who shot a turkey or tries to take turkey um, on on the flight? Um, one of my buddies shot one out of the air last year. Oh wow! They, he was up on top of this ridge, and it was a it was a really really steep ridge, so that you know he couldn't see. You know he could hear the turkey coming up the hill, and but he couldn't see him until they were at like five yards and they saw him at the same time he saw them and you know they took off flying and yeah he shot one out of the air and it was it was pretty cool awesome yeah that would be pretty cool <laughs> i think if you if you're underneath them and they had their wings open i don't think it would take that much to bring one down body shot no yeah no for sure but yeah those the wings in the back you know especially especially the wings they're they're tough it's it's hard to get pellets through that. Hmm. All right. So do you have, how, how many Turkey have you taken? Do you, you, you take uh, or keep track of that? I don't know for sure. I guess I could probably, I could probably sit down and figure it out, but it not, not, not as many as most guys, because, you know, growing up in Indiana, we can only kill one bird. Yep. And so for the longest time, you know, it was one turkey a year for me. And then we started a couple of years ago, we started traveling. And last year, you know, I killed three. And the year before that, I killed two. And other than that, it's been one a year for, you know, my the rest of my turkey hunting career. Awesome. Because so, uh, kind of, you know, states, like, you know, Alabama, you can kill five and Kentucky, you can kill <laughs> two. And there, you know, there's a lot of states yep. that are two and three and Indiana, Tennessee's we're three. Stuck with, we're stuck nope. with one. Yep. We're stuck with one. Same with Michigan. So, um, but yeah, I guess, uh, what kind of, do you have like a preferred, I know you did, uh, um, a shotgun, patterning test for your uh turkey loads this year yeah um do you have a favorite one you picked yeah for sure um i'm gonna have the indian creek uh 665 in the end of my gun and i'm gonna be shooting the heavy shot magnum blend it just performed so much better than everything else out of my gun it wasn't even a question awesome. what distance were you patterning them at 50 because you know all of them, every single one. You're the factory, you know, the factory full choke from your gun, and the cheapest turkey loads you can get at Walmart. I mean, we'll work at fifteen or twenty yards. I was, 
stretching them out there to see, you know, what what really holds a pattern at a distance. Yep. And the goal, you know, obviously the goal is not to shoot a turkey at 50 yards or 60 yards, but just knowing that maybe if you, you know make a make a bad first shot, your follow up shot. I just want as I want as many pellets in that circle as possible. I know uh, I'm I'm definitely excited this year to be uh, trying out the boss shot or the boss Tom. Is that what? Yeah. yeah, boss Tom shells as well. And what they got going on there with their tungsten. Yeah, it's those tungsten loads are sweet. What choke are you going to be shooting that out of? Um, I just run a factory full currently, but um, I have been toying with the idea, which if I need to, if I, if I'm going to do it, I need to pull the trigger soon. Um, but, uh, going and getting a turkey choke. Do you see a big difference between, um, the factory fools and a turkey choke? Oh yes. So it'd be well worth the money. (laughs) Oh yes. I, uh, I've actually got the targets. We shot, we shot 25, let's see. It was 25 total shots. So we had six shells. Six different shells that we thought we shot through four different chokes: the factory full choke, and then three, you know, aftermarket chokes, and they're all they all run about a hundred dollars a piece. And mm-hmm. so, Magnum, <laughs> I'm looking, I got the target right here. The Magnum blend with the factory full Benelli choke put fifty eight pellets in a ten inch circle at fifty yards. Ten inch circle? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Which that's pretty. That's still pretty solid. But with the Indian Creek, it put 122 pellets in that same circle. In a ten in a ten inch circle. Yep. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, normally people do it with 30 or 40 inch circles. Yeah, I was looking for something you know comparable to a to a you know they have the turkey head targets, but I didn't I didn't necessarily want to do that. I wanted a, I wanted a circle, so I used a pretty pretty small circle. But yeah, they were they were ten inch circles, so. The the Indian Creek, you know, more than doubled the amount of pellets in the circle at fifty yards. Hmm. Wow. So uh do you have a favorite choke? Yeah, the Indian Creek. Oh, that's the name of the choke. Got it. <laughs> yeah, it's the Indian Indian Creek's the brand and then it's the it's Do they make waterfowl chokes as well? Yeah, they have a, they have a waterfowl choke too. I haven't I haven't shot it, but they do they do make a waterfowl choke. Okay, hmm, that's a big difference. Yeah, the the test was <clears throat> the test was pretty was pretty interesting. Some of the some of the really like the Magnum blend is like thirty dollars for five shells. So that's a, you know it's expensive every time you pull the trigger. Yeah, and some of the other ones like the Winchester Longbeard XR. It's fifteen dollars for ten shells, so it's you know those are that's on the lower end of the cost range for turkey shells, and they performed re- the the Longbeard XR got second place out of all of them. Hmm. It was good. To- it was pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely interesting for sure. Ellie, do you have a turkey choke? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> there's I went five years without even turkey hunting. I'm just I'm not I'm a lot more motivated to do it because I like making the videos of it. Um, but I just don't have that much motivation when it comes to the spring. Honestly, we we just go so hard 
during waterfowl season. And I'm just so passionate about waterfowl hunting that when it comes to even snow geese or, or turkey hunting, getting up early and stuff, I just, man, I don't know what it is. I don't have the same drive to do it. For me, it wouldn't be the getting up early part, but if it was cold during turkey season, the same way it is during duck season, that'd make it a lot more difficult to go. <laughs> Yeah. I, am, I, I am excited to get my boys turkeys. I'm taking uh, the youth weekend. I'm taking um, my middle boy, Nevin, and my buddy Aiden back to his farm where they have tons of turkeys. And I'm really pumped up to see him get his first turkey. So I'm like, I have more desire to see uh, my boys get their first bird than myself getting one. Yeah, that's – man, that's what it's all about. Like, I, you know, I've killed I've – killed- plenty of turkeys and I get just as much enjoyment out of, you know, calling a bird in for somebody else and watching them shoot it than shooting one myself. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. So have you, uh, taken any, what you would consider like trophy, uh, turkeys? Um, when we went down, we went down to Kentucky, um, for opening weekend last year and there were four of us hunting, and we killed five birds, and three of the five were, like, really big. The other two weren't small, but the three of the five were really, really big turkeys. Awesome. So what what do you, what do you consider a really big turkey when you guys are at? Um, it's, it's based on – it's based – you know, I'm, I'm happy with any turkey, you know, any, any two-year-old or older turkey. And it's, it's really just spur length, basically. You know, you can tell like the three-quarter inch or five-eighths inch spurs is generally a two-year-old. And then, you know, by year three, they may get to almost an inch and then they get, you know, just a little bit bigger each year. So any anything over an inch spur is incredible. Yeah. In my book, anyways. My goal is always – just get it to close to 20 pounds and above that. That's kind of where I like to, my goal when I'm doing it. Yeah. No, I never, I didn't, I don't usually weigh them. So I'm not, I can't really, I don't know what, what any of them weigh. I don't know what any turkey I've ever killed weighed, but. Yeah. My, my goal is usually just to get anything that's not a Jake within shooting yeah, range. No, <laughs> for sure. That's yeah. I'm not letting, I'm, I'm not letting anything. Any mature bird leave. Oh, I'll kill any Jake that comes by. <laughs> I'm not picky. I'd like to shoot a 20 pounder, but I mean, the, the, the lack of 20 pound Jake. Uh, give me a 14 pound Jake. I'll kill that. <laughs> but I'm saying I, that's I, what I, I'm feeling like, Hey, this is a success. This is big. If I shoot a 20 pound. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, you have anything else to add, Elliot? Nope. Uh, just appreciate you being back on here. It's always uh, good to talk to you. It's always makes for great content because you're so well-spoken and present yourself so well and hope your business continues to flourish. I appreciate that. Yeah. It's, it's going good so far. Just taking it one day at a time. Awesome. So, uh, you know, like Elliot said, thanks for coming on and getting us juiced up for turkey season. Maybe you'll actually get Elliot excited this year. And yeah, Elliot, get excited. It's fun. Uh, I, I am. I, I tell you, I am. I, I am more this year than normal. Corn's <laughs> got a creek that's full of turkeys, and I'm taking my boy out to get him one. So I actually am a little more excited this year than normal. So hopefully we'll have some good videos and good shows of 
some birds being put down. Awesome. That's awesome. And guys, make sure uh, if you need any turkey supplies, as far as calls go, check out JT. You want to let people know where they can find you? Um, JTcalls.com is where you go to buy things. Um, Instagram's JT underscore calls. Facebook is JT calls. Um, YouTube? Now YouTube, JT calls. Pretty much JT calls across the board. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, I think that about does it for us tonight. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles, Elliot from Freelance Duck Hunting, and Jake from JT Calls. And we'll see you guys next time.